Welcome back to Game Changers Pharmacotherapy Podcast. I'm Mackenzie Eckern from the CE Impact team. We are so excited to kick off our second season of Game Changers and happy to bring you our dedicated listeners new benefits. We've added CME credit. Our listeners are prescribers and pharmacists who need to stay up to date on the Game Changers Impacting Pharmacotherapy. For more information on how to get pharmacy and medicine CE, just download the Pharmacy Network app and go to the Game Changers Podcast Academy. Listening and claiming credit earns you two hours of CE every month. Second, you can access the show notes and CE credit links right in our app. Just download the Pharmacy Network app and go to the Game Changers Podcast Academy. Listening and claiming credit earns you two hours of CE every month. Each week, Game Changers helps you stay up to date while on the go. Today, Dr. Wall talks about the misuse of diuretics, thiazide, and loop medications and how to better use them. Let's listen in. Hello and welcome to another edition of Game Changers Clinical Conversations. I am your host, Jeff Wall, Professor of Pharmacy Practice at Drake University. Welcome. We're very much hoping to kind of kind of get out of the, uh, the the tunnel of the pandemic. Uh, that would be terrific. I know almost everybody I know is is, is anxious to kind of get back to some sort of semblance of a normal life. And I think just getting outside is going to be a good step toward doing that. So, But we are not talking about COVID today. We're actually going to talk about something I think is important, but, but maybe kind of semi-mundane. And that's going to be some pearls on on diuretic use. So that's that's the theme today. Before we get into it, though, uh, thank you for joining us. Um, if you uh, wherever you get your podcast, please head over, please hit that like button, please subscribe to us if you haven't already done so, and most importantly, please uh, show some love to uh, CE Impact, um, our producer. Uh, head over to their website ceimpact.com. They have you know terrific uh, CE programs for for uh, pharmacy. Hopefully soon for medicine, because I keep getting emails and, and and contacts from physicians I know who are listening to this who would, who would like to kind of get get in uh, some CE as well. Hopefully we'll be working on that as, as, as time goes on. So uh, head on over and do all that. And uh, I'm, I'm sure we'd all very much appreciate it. Helps us keep the lights on, things like that. So today we're going to talk about just pearls about diuretics. And and as an inpatient pharmacist, as someone who does split this time between medicine and critical care, um, I would say it's a, it's, a, it's a fair statement that there probably isn't a day that doesn't go by that I have at least don't have at least a couple of patients on my on my services who are getting, you know, active diuresis and, and we're trying to aggressively diurese them. So this is something I deal with all the time. It's something I lecture to to the medical students and, and residents in my hospital. So, you know, it, it's something that I feel pretty comfortable with. And and by no small coincidence, uh, just this last month, there was a very nice paper uh, that, uh, actually a couple of very nice papers that, that, that took a look at the use of diuretics, but there was a, a really nice paper um, uh, that was published in the American Journal of Cardiovascular Drugs just last last week. And it's, it's, it's literally titled Inpatient Diuretic Management of Acute Heart Failure a practical review, and so I, that that seemed. If, if if I was looking from for a sign from above to to, to do this talk, I think that was my sign. So uh, yeah, I'm, we're going to put uh, a link to that paper uh, in the show notes because it is an actually an excellent review, and 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 uh, it doesn't get too far into the weeds of of the pharmacology of of the different diuretics, and really just kind of gives you the pearls that you need to know, which is really really nice. Um, certainly, um, you know, when people get admitted to the hospital either with heart failure exacerbations or 
acute kidney injury or even uh, chronic liver disease, and they're in you know, hospitalized with fluid overload or pulmonary edema, uh, obviously uh, a loop diuretics are, are going to be our mainstay of therapy in the, in the United States. Uh, registry studies suggest that 90% of patients who are hospitalized with heart failure are going to be treated with, with intravenous loop diuretics. So you're, you're going to see, you're going to see it over and over and over again. And my thing as a pharmacist is, is often I see loop diuretics used not the most appropriately, or at least, at least not optimally. And I think that's, that's where I think pharmacists can really play a role in, in making sure that, that uh, we, we optimize the use of, of loop diuretics in, in patients with acute fluid overload. Um, I won't dive into the, into the pharmacology partially because, you know, I think everybody probably knows it partially because of those of you listening to us or driving, you'll fall asleep and, 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 you know, drive your car into a ditch or something. So we all know how loop diuretics work. It's kind of in the name. So I, I won't belabor that point. So we have three big loop diuretics, of course, on the market. We've got furosemide, torsemide, and bumetanide. Um, um, I'm often asked, you know, well, gee, is there any real difference between these diuretics? And my, my, my response is, is largely no, that, that, you know, yes, there's some mild kinetic differences between them. You know, uh, they have different half-lives a little bit, things along those lines. And, and if, if there really is a big difference from a kinetic standpoint of diuretics, it's, it's bioavailability. So really only oral uh, loop diuretics are, 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 there's a big difference. There's always been a problem with furosemide in, in, in this, in this area, because studies have suggested that uh, the bioavailability of, of furosemide is anywhere from 10 to 90%. So that's uh, nice and unhelpful. And uh, unfortunately, studies have suggested that that absorption is is delayed with food intake. And so that also, um, when people are, are taking their loop diuretics with breakfast or dinner, that's going to blunt its absorption even more. Um, also, uh, there's a, a absorption-limited pharmacokinetics with, with furosemide. Um, and so basically, you um, the excretion half-life is basically shorter um, uh, de depending on how how much is, is, is taken in. Uh, Torsemide and I don't have any of those problems. And their bioavailability is, 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 is somewhere at, at 80 to 90%. And certainly, I think when you talk to, to, to uh, experts in, in heart failure, they're doing uh, setting patients home more and more with torsemide and bumetanide compared to furosemide uh, uh, because the costs of, of the latter two drugs has really come down and, and they're really just slightly more expensive now than, than good old-fashioned generic furosemide. And, and uh, the, because of that, and especially as patients start to accumulate fluid because they had, you know, a, a dietary indiscretion or they had a bunch of salt, and now they're starting to retain fluid uh, in in that patient that's giving getting uh, oral uh, uh, furosemide. Uh, the the drug which already has a pretty bio, uh, poor bioavailability may actually not get absorbed at all, whereas you still might get some absorption of oral torsemide and oral bumetanide. And so, so I think you're seeing more and more uh, uh, heart failure uh, experts kind of doing that. Uh, if you're as a pharmacist asked to switch between uh, the the, uh, the medications. So let's say you had a patient who was on 40 of furosemide and, and, and someone asked you to switch. Kind of the general rule is that, you know, one milligram of bubentanide is equivalent to 20 of torsemide and that's equivalent to 40 of, of furosemide. Um, I've heard I've heard some people say maybe 10 to 20 of, of torsemide, but I think the 120-40 is, is what I was kind of taught. And I think that's that that's not a bad way to, to look at stuff. Um, so someone comes in and, and they uh, are uh, admitted with uh, 
you know, heart failure, they have uh, fluid overload, and we immediately give them forty of Lasix IV. That's that's just something we we very commonly do here, um, and and that's uh, sometimes the, some some of the first you know uh, mistakes that I see kind of made. You know, the general rule of thumb is is that is that you want to take a look if the patient's on a, a home dose of loop diuretic, and and uh, you know if if you want to consider at least giving that or doubling that uh, intravenously as 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 the, as the inpatient dose to kind of see where where they lie. Um, all loop diuretics operate on a sigmoid curve uh, of their dose response. So, um, and and the, the practical English translation of that is that uh, there is a threshold dose of loop diuretics. And so, uh, uh, if you talk to nephrologists, they'll tell you, you know, you got to find the light switch. And so, what they mean by that is that there is a threshold dose at which you get a significant naturesis and then you know uh, uh, water with the, the naturesis um, uh, in patients on loop diuretics. And so, if you give somebody forty of furosemide and they don't pee, uh, the answer is not to give them another 40 of furosemide later on that day or the next day. You've already established that's not the threshold dose. And so you really need to kind of go up on the dose. And, and, and if you're trying to aggressively diurese somebody, that means aggressively increasing the dose of, 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 of their diuretics. Uh, the single highest dose of loop diuretic you can give uh, um, before you start getting into safety problems is, is probably around 240 milligrams of furosemide. Uh, that number seems very high to most of my providers. So uh, the, the kind of joke is when they say, well, you know, you know, Jeff, I don't want to give 240 of, of, of furosemide. I say, well, how about six of Bumex? And I go, okay, that's fine. And I'm like, okay, that's the exact same thing. <laughs> okay, sure. Why not? The number's lower. So it, it, it makes sense, you know? So, you know, so the, the, the trick is to find the light switch. So, you know, you give, you know, uh, your starting dose of, of furosemide or, you know, bumetanide or torsamide. And if that doesn't achieve a significant diuresis, go up on the dose. Um, you know, the other piece that I see in an inpatient setting is we often wait a long time, you know, we'll give 40 of furosemide at eight o'clock in the morning and say, well, if that didn't work, we'll try 80 tomorrow. And it's like, well, no, you don't need to wait that long. You know, if, if it, with intravenous diuretics, they all have fairly short half-lives. And so if someone doesn't pee um, in, in the first several hours of, of getting uh, in, um, intravenous furosemide or any of these other drugs, they're, they're probably not going to. And so it's perfectly reasonable later on in the afternoon to try that higher dose. I mean, you know, the point is we're trying to get them to diuresis, trying to get them out of the hospital as quickly as we possibly can. And we don't need to kind of sit around waiting for to see, you know, gee, 12 hours after I gave intravenous Lasix, they're all of a sudden going to start diuresing. That's just not going to happen. And so going up on the dose uh, and, and, and giving that dose more frequently really is the key to, to, to rapid diuresis in, in patients. Uh, of course, the, you know, the reason Lasix is called Lasix is that it lasts six hours, right? That's, uh, that's where the name comes from. So, um, so then what if that doesn't work? Well, you know, then you, you wade into the, into the um, uh, debate about continuous infusion loop diuretics versus just high multiple intravenous boluses. This is a, a hot topic of debate and has been, I think, ever since I've been a, a started as a pharmacist 25 years ago. Um, probably the best study, in my opinion, that really took a look at this was the DOE study, the Diuretic optima Optimization Str Strategies Evaluation, um, and, and basically, you know, uh, looked at at, at, at continuous infusion, uh, a loop diuretics versus just, just uh, um, uh, intravenous bolus dosing that was done more frequently. It had about 300 patients in it and basically did not find that continuous infusions were, uh, were really any better than aggressive uh, uh, boluses. That being said, I will tell you that that certainly in my world, my, some of my cardiologists are big fans of, of, of continuous infusion loop diuretics. And certainly I will recommend that if, if we've tried aggressive bolus dosing to see if we can over, overcome diuretic 
resistance in patients. Um, there have been some other studies that have been a little bit, uh, 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 have not shown that exact same outcome, but I think the dose study was probably the, the best done study that's taken a look at this. The bottom line is that, is that, is that um, you know, we, we don't have a great level of data on this either way. Um, there was a meta-analysis in 2018 that looked at, at several studies, and it actually found the continuous dosing uh, infusion of, of furose might achieve greater urine output, you know, uh, but, it, but the, it was at a cost of increased length of stay. So again, you know, what kind of outcomes are you looking at and things along those lines? I think it's certainly reasonable to try, you know, aggressive bolus dosing. And if that doesn't work, you know, consider your next options for, for uh, uh, aggressively diuresing somebody in an in, inpatient setting. And that, that might, uh, you know, be a continuous uh, drip. Um, uh, and uh, there's a number of ways to do that. Um, I've seen everything from, uh, you know, uh, back when I first started as a pharmacist, I had a nephrologist in Salt Lake who was fond of giving one milligram per minute Lasix bolus, uh, Lasix strips. So yeah, one milligram a minute, that's 1,440 milligrams of Lasix a day. And we would literally take an entire flat of, 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 of IV Lasix vials, pop them all off, drop all the fluid, shoot them into an empty bag and hand the bag to the nurse because it's like, you can't, get, you can't make it any more concentrated than that. And, and that's what, that's what that particular nephrologist did. I've not seen other uh, uh, physicians be quite so aggressive, but I've certainly seen things like, you know, a milligram an hour or 40 milligrams an hour of, 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 of uh, bumetanide or furosemide uh, respectively used over, you know, 10, 12 hours to kind of see what happens. So I think either is probably reasonable to consider, but again, there's, there's no, I think, strong evidence suggesting that, that can, that continuous infusions are better or, or result in, in, in better outcomes. Uh, the other thing to consider in these patients is, is, is to use synergy by giving them um, um, concomitant uh, 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 other diuretics. Uh, the, in the United States, the classic uh, thing that is done in these patients is they're given a thiazide-like diuretic, which is metolazone. Uh, um, metolazone is, is essentially, for all intents and purposes, works the exact way as thiazide diuretics do because it's it's not it got the chemical structure uh, that's exactly the same as hydrochlorothiazide. It isn't technically counted as a thiazide, but for all intents and purposes, it, it works the exact same. And in fact, in other countries, they do use hydrochlorothiazide for synergy in patients with, with uh, trying to overwhelm diuretic resistance. Um, but in the U.S., we usually kind of give, you know, five to 10 milligrams of metolazone with, with loop diuretics. Um, and, 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 uh, and, and if you need an intravenous dose in my hospital, we occasionally do use, use chlorothiazide in those patients to try and help as well. Um, what I would say, my, just from my personal experiences, if you're going to do that, that's fine. But I always warn my residents and students to watch their electrolytes very, very closely with that, with that one-two punch on, on both sides of, of the loop of Henley, uh, you can see the bottom drop right out of their potassium um, and, and magnesium and, and other things. So you want to want to keep a very close watch on on, on their electrolytes because I've you'll see, you can see a brisk diuresis, but you also see see things really try to drop down low. But tolazone has been has been advocated, I think, a little bit just because it tends to retain some of its effectiveness, even though there's uh, even in, in patients who have some uh, 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 renal insufficiency or they're low have a low GFR. Um, but again, I, I think. I think any of them are reasonable to use, but certainly in the United States, we, we, we do tend to use metolazone in these patients. The other uh, drug that's kind of been getting some uh, uh, interest in the last 10 years has been acetazolamide. And, and so for the more veteran people listening, they may remember that acetazolamide or, 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 or Dimox is the old trade name, uh, you know, was one of the first diuretics on the market and it's a carbonic anhydrase inhibitor. So uh, it, it, it actually works by non-competitive inhibition of carbonic anhydrase in the proximal tubule and uh, 
that that uh, reduces serum uh, sodium reabsorption and causes naturesis and then and then water to go with it and also um, uh, uh, causes retention of, of hydrogen ions as well so the the practical upshot is you do get some diuresis but you also get a nice metabolic acidosis going on um, and and again in the old days that was one of the very first uh, diuretics that was used for things like heart failure but it kind of fell from favor because it wasn't that effective it didn't really give you great diuresis in people and had a lot of weirdo side effects and again because of, of, of the metabolic acidosis and other side effects that when loop diuretics came out it really took took, took off but it, it can be considered as an adjunct uh, to aggressively diuresing people. And there's been a couple of small studies now that have suggested that you can, you can get, again, a synergistic uh, law, uh, 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 net diuresis when you add on acetazolamide in patients. Um, and, and so that's something to consider. Where I use it in my world particularly is in, is in uh, intubated patients in the ICU who are aggressively diuresing. And as you know, when, when you're aggressively diuresing some uh, patients, one of the things that you do run into is a metabolic alkali or a contraction alkalosis. And um, uh, uh, those of you who practice in critical care know that one thing that intensivists don't like is, 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 is alkaloses in their intubated patients because when you're alkalotic, you don't want to breathe. And so they, they, uh, we want to try and keep people, uh, you know, if at all possible, you know, kind of in, in the normal pH range or even a little bit acidotic as far as, as, far as breathing. And so um, uh, my, uh, my uh, intensivists uh, are, are pretty aggressive about using acetazolamide in people that that they're aggressively diuresing um, uh, to try and not only uh, augment the diuretic uh, diuresis, but also to, to uh, fix the metabolic alkalosis. Anecdotally, I'll tell you that it works pretty decently. And the only, only uh, pearl I would give is, is don't just start the drug and walk away. You know, we'll usually start like 250 BID of, 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 of acetazolamide. And, and we just order it day by day. We don't just start it and, and walk away because if you, if you forget that the patient's on it, you can flip them right over and in, in, again into a metabolic alkalosis alkalosis, which isn't what we want either as well. Um, there was a, a, a not very recent, but, but a meta-analysis that came out a few years ago that, that did take a look at heart failure patients um, who used, got, got acetazolamide as kind of an adjunctive therapy to aggressive diuresis and, and again, did find that it corrected a, uh, there's a metabolic alkalosis um, and also an enhanced diuresis. So um, I think that's, that, that's something to kind of consider. It'll be interesting to see. There's actually a, an ongoing study called the ADVOR study. Uh, right now, a prospective randomized controlled trial that, that looks at acetazolamide as an adjunct to, 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 to loop diuretics and, and, and acute heart failure. So I think that's something that, that that'll be interesting to kind of see. Uh, certainly, I do want to touch on the on the vasopressin antagonists. We don't use them in our hospital, but I know some places do use conovaptan and tolvaptan uh, uh, in kind of last-ditch you know efforts trying to, to get people to diurese. Uh, I'll be frank, we don't use a lot of it in my hospital just because of the cost associated with uh, the the medications because they're, they're they're very pricey. Uh, it is interesting to note that that you know the the the, the supposed advantage of the, of the vasopressin antagonists, of course, is that they're pure aquaretics, right? They they don't they don't cause sodium to, to be excreted. They just literally cause pure water to be excreted because of 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 uh, blockade of the of, of the V two receptor. So um, you know they're, they're interesting drugs, and I think there's been some studies like the Tactics HF study that have suggested that there there's a benefit in these patients, but again because of their incredible costs. 
most places I know just just basically don't use them um, you know, because of that. So, so that's kind of an approach I think to to acute diuretics. The other piece I wanted to really touch base on quickly, just since we're on on the whole subject of of, of diuretics, is is the use of thiazide diuretics in um, uh, uh, hypertension. You know, one of the things I always tell my students is is that you know uh, thiazide diuretics aren't terrific diuretics, but they're pretty good antihypertensives, and I think that's a good way to look at them. And I've always kind of said if you want someone to pee, you put them on a loop diuretic. You want somebody's blood pressure to go down. You want it. You want to put them on on a, on a thiazide diuretic. Uh, again, those more more veteran listeners may remember the the all hat study that came out in the in the mid two thousands that really kind of you know set the tone for for uh, hydrochlorothiazides use in in uh, um, uh, hypertension and found that it was at least as good in reducing hard outcomes and by hard outcomes I mean cardiovascular events and renal events uh, compared to drugs like ACE inhibitors and calcium channel blockers, um, but, but, uh, uh, and was of course cheap and, and was well tolerated and things like that. And, you know, JNC7, when it came out, um, you know, pretty much right after the all has study was, was very, I think, thiazide centric, you know, it really pushed the use of thiazides. The newer set of guidelines have kind of backed off on that and said, well, you know, sure. Yeah. Thiazides are great, but, 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 you know, they're, they're, um, you know, you know, they're just one of any four medications you could consider use for them. So I, you know, I think that's kind of interesting to note. Certainly, uh, we know that thiazide diuretics, uh, um, uh, again, re re reduce hard outcomes. It's interesting to note that even though they've been around for a long, long, long time, we still don't exactly know why they uh, uh, lower blood pressure. Um, and that's and that's always been something that, that that's kind of interesting is that, you know, even even now, you know, you know, you know, 60 years after the introduction of, of thiazide diuretics, we, we, of course, know they decrease blood volume, but they also have other effects that we're still not entirely clear on that continue to keep blood pressure down even after uh, uh, um, a certain blood volume kind of normalizes out and people stop stop peeing so much after those few first couple of a couple of months the big controversies with with I think thiazides are, are one you know you know is there a is there a creatinine clearance at which they stop working you know I was kind of classically taught that that thiazides don't work all that well when creatinine clearances uh, uh, drop below 30 mils a minute um, and 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 I think probably most people have taught that uh, there it's interesting to note that the latest set of Cadigo guidelines in, in treating hypertension and chronic kidney disease patients say that that um, many clinicians will switch from thiazide to loop diuretics. Um, that there is at least some small studies suggesting that there, that the antihypertensive benefit of thiazides still may be preserved at relatively low levels of GFR, probably up to and including stage five uh, uh, chronic kidney disease and dialysis. Uh, I tend to still stop these medications, um, um, but uh, if, if possible in these patients. But but again, it, I, I I don't think this is uh, as as solid as I think I was kind of taught when I came out of school is that you absolutely don't use thiazide diuretics in patients uh, with, with poor creatinine clearances. Um, we don't see a lot of the weirdo um, uh, glucose intolerances and, and, and uh, um, uh, lipid abnormalities and things like that that we used to see with, with uh, thiazide diuretics just because we use much lower doses like, like all uh, uh, almost all antihypertensives. Uh, thiazides have a fair, fairly flat dose response curve that really doesn't go up above 25 to 50 milligrams a day and there's really no point to go above that. Um, so that's, I think that's, that, that's, that's important to note. Um, those of patients who are on gout, I think you do want to be kind of careful. I don't think it's an absolute contraindication to have, uh, uh, thiazides in patients with gout, but I do remember the thiazides do cause uric acid to, to be retained. Um, you know, I would argue that, that, that unless the patient really has to be on, on a thiazide diuretic, I would probably select another antihypertensive in those patients. Cause you know, you're trying to, trying to not increase uh, uric acid in those patients, if at all possible. Um, and then I think the other 
other the other thing to watch out for in these patients is hypercalcemia. I'd say at least once a year, I've got I'll have a, a patient admitted to my medicine service who who started on a thiazide diuretic and developed hypercalcemia from it. So it's something you want to keep an eye out for as well. So so yeah, so just kind of a whirlwind review, nothing earth shattering today, no gigantic studies that are going to change the world or anything, but but, but just kind of a review of of uh, of the you know pearls on on the appropriate use of diuretics both for hypertension, but I think much more in in, in aggressive diuresis and impatience. We'll wrap things up here in a second, just after a word from our, our producer, CE Impact. Want to get 30 minutes of CE every week you listen in? Get our podcast subscription today to listen to the episode on the go on the Pharmacy Network in the Game Changers Academy for only $3.99 a month. After listening, complete the quick exam and evaluation to claim your 30 minutes of CE. Join the Academy today by clicking the link in the show notes. So loop diuretics and thiazide diuretics are, are critical drugs that I think uh, pharmacists, you know, use and dispense and talk about all the time. And, um, uh, you know, even though they're really old medications, it's, it's worth noting that there are, you know, ongoing studies that are probably going to change how we look at these medications. Um, you know, I, I, I talked about uh, the one study looking at the uh, adjunctive use of, of acetazolamide in, in inpatient. It's actually a study going on right now, the VA system that's comparing chlorothaladone to hydrochloric chlorothiazide and hypertension. It's important to note that, that um, um, for most of the big studies, especially the NIH studies that look at hypertension and, and thiazide diuretics, they've all used chlorothaladone. So there's always been this question about is chlorothaladone, you know, the preferred medication. So we'll kind of see if, if that's the case. So, you know, even though this is not, you know, again, the most, you know, earth shattering boy, this is, you know, you know, uh, brand new things going to change everything. There are ongoing studies that I think we need to be aware of that, that it very well may change our approach to things. And, uh, you know, using these drugs appropriately, I think we get people out of the hospital faster and hopefully keep them from getting into the hospital in the first place. So, so that's it for this week. Uh, again, thank you for listening. Uh, head on over to where you get your uh, podcast, uh, like us, uh, subscribe to us. And again, head to CE Impact for, for uh, signing up for uh, uh, the ways to get CE for just listening to me talk. So that's it for this week. We will catch you next week. Thanks for listening. Remember that time flies. I don't know where it's going, but the most important day is today. We'll see you next week. Thank you for joining Dr. Jeff Wall for this week's episode. If you like it, please share it. Head over to CEImpact.com for more.